I'm a Muslim and that's okay presents Gift of the Gab because everybody's got something to say. Hi everyone, may peace be on you all and welcome to another episode of I'm a Muslim and that's okay and I am back with another Gift of the Gab and with a fellow podcaster, Dr. Rose Aslan. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Shahla. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for being my guest. And you are a certified transformational life coach, an educator, academic, and a breathwork facilitator. Breathwork. Breathwork. I don't know. (laughs) It's okay. We breathe and we do breathwork. Breathwork. Okay. And uh, what, I mean, you're a transformational life coach uh, and a breathwork facilitator. First, tell me about that. I mean, I've heard of life coaches, but I... Again, being as I am, I'm not sure what any of this means. Sure. Let me give you some translation to regular people speak. So, well, first of all, until a couple, like a year ago, I was actually a professor, associate professor mm. of Islam and religion. So mm. I had a very reputable job, you know, that lots of social capital and I quit it all. Um, wow. And a couple of years ago, while I was still employed, but I was still trying to figure things out on my sabbatical year. I just decided to try another calling, and my other calling mm. was life coaching. Um, life mm. coaching is, I'd say my work is still really connected to what I do. I've always been invested in religion, spirituality, studying it, teaching it, writing about it, thinking about it, talking about it. That's my that's my thing. And so it just turned out in doing it within the academy wasn't the best fit, even though I just spent more than 20 years invested in that space. Mm. Um, I moved over, and now I do my thing with religion, spirituality in the context of life coaching, really. So life coaching Mm. means I work with primarily, but not limited to women and mainly Muslim women, um, helping them to figure out what they want to do with their life, um, how they can, if they feel stuck, if they're stuck in the grind, if they feel just stuck in their lives, I help them get unstuck. I help them really figure out who they are, what they want, um, who are they beyond all the people pleasing beyond what everyone wants from them, what they actually want from right. themselves and what Allah wants from them versus just other people. Um, so that's life coaching. And I get to do so many different things with different people, depending on their needs. It's very different. Sometimes I help graduate students get through their dissertation if they don't have a good advisor. And sometimes I help mm-hmm. women change careers or move countries. It really depends um, right. on their needs. And I also lead group programs as well. And then breathwork is something that I recently got certified. I was in a 400-hour training program. And basically why I got so invested in it is because I've been on this healing path for a number of years, Mm. six years intentionally, you know, really walking Mm. this path. And that started when I was preparing to leave my my now ex-husband, and I felt incredibly broken. And I tried mm. a lot of different healing modalities. You know, I'm talking like everything. I was in Los Angeles, right? The land of <laughs> everything, like new agey spiritual. And I just right. tried everything because I was just like, felt so terrible. And mm. I needed to be fixed. That's mm. what I felt. And so I tried all kinds of things along the way. Um, in the process, I kept on going back to the breath. The breath, mm. just learning how to breathe deeply with certain kinds of methods and techniques, I found to be very practical Because first of all, a lot of these fancy modalities, you need a lot of investment, you need special supplies, you need a lot of um, money. 
once you、mm. learn how to do breath work, you need nothing. You just、mm. need a body. Everyone breathes、right. every moment of the day because if we didn't, we'd be dead. And、mm. so I just love how simple it is to learn breath work, but、mm. how much most people aren't aware of their breath on a regular basis, on a、right. moment-to-moment basis. So what、right. I do is I can sit down with someone, I can diagnose their breathing, their breathing patterns.、Mm. Um, very quickly, I can notice if they have、um, incorrect, as we call it, breathing patterns that lead to inefficient use of their body, bodily functions,、mm. and their physiology, which could mean that they're really fatigued, they're not sleeping well, they have a lot of anxiety.、Mm. Sometimes it's a really quick fix; they just need to correct some way that they're breathing. Right? Sometimes、mm. they're breathing. A lot of people nowadays are breathing up here. Right? Right. So if you're like breathing, you notice like your chest is heaving. You don't want to breathe right, like that.、Right. Actually, you probably heard a belly breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. So it's teaching people、right. to breathe lower.、Um, so I'm finding that he- breath work is so practical. What I like about、mm-hmm. it, as an academic who's trained、um, to to rely on peer-reviewed research, there's a ton of peer-reviewed research about the efficacy of breath work. So、mm-hmm. I practice analy- analytical woo. I love woo, but I like when <laughs> it's backed up. You know, so right, breath right. work is super <laughs> backed up. So、right. it's not just like you can't like charging crystals. I've never seen evidence that it works. So I don't charge crystals. I have crystals. But I don't charge them. I know a lot of people、oh、who、God. charge them. That seems like like you're charging money to the crystal. I'm sorry, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like I'm confused. What does this mean?、But、like. I don't know. I don't exactly know. Like, I just know that there's gatherings where people bring crystals, right, right, right. and then they like all charge them. I don't know exactly how it works because I, right, I just、right. haven't participated. It's, it's in the spiritual, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, the spiritual anyway, practices. Again, I've heard of it. It's, it does sound weird. <laughs> That's funny, right? <laughs> where you charge yourself with crystals or something, right? You know? Right, right. Like, right. I have not seen peer-reviewed research、uh, backing that up. But、right. breathwork is amazing. My teacher, she is a is a medical doctor who then became a、mm. breathwork teacher. So she actually knows physiology and anatomy really well, and、right. so it was just a, it was such an honor to learn with her, because、mm. she's also giving us peer reviewed research and evidence as we're learning the practices with her. And so、mm. it's been a really powerful tool that I use within my coaching, within、right. um, my work with people, as well、mm. as everywhere. Everyone in my life knows that I'm going to ask them about their breath. You know, <laughs> so they're like before I even ask them to say, "Oh yeah, I've been breathing like my breathing's a little off," or "Yeah,、I'm, I've been taking some deep breathing." My friends、oh, love to、wow. reassure me that, like, I'm like, "How are you? Like, don't worry, I've been taking some deep breaths lately." <laughs> no, but it's fantastic what you、yeah. do now. You know, it's helping people in so many different ways, like in their overall life sphere, but and and as well, like your breath work does,、mm-hmm. you know, help. Internal balance for、yeah. a lot of people, but that's not why I have you here.、Yeah. That's very fascinating.、Um, not exactly <laughs> why I have you、yeah. here. Yes.、Um, so, as you mentioned, that you're an academic, and like in your bio, you had said that you you received your PhD in Islamic studies from the University of North Carolina, and you have a master's in in Arab and Islamic civilizations from the American University in Cairo.、Mm-hmm. So, why? Rose, why? why, Doctor Rose? <laughs> I mean, y'all got all the certifications of like being a really fancy schmancy teacher, I, and you know, fancy. Yeah, you've got all the fancy schmancy、uh, accreditation. So, how and why is the switch? Especially, it's relevant in、uh, discussion, especially when in the atmosphere, the global atmosphere that 
is right now mm-hmm. uh, with the terrible atrocities that are occurring in Palestine. I think, um, and you had put it so aptly that you were once a professional Muslim. And mm-hmm. I had to sit there and think for a second. I'm like, yes, I'm an unprofessional Muslim. But I mean, I don't think that's what you meant when you said that you were a professional Muslim. So if I had to start somewhere, yeah. I want you to help us sort of understand what does it mean to be a professional Muslim in your prior career yeah. as an academic? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. And I think as I describe it, I think Muslim listeners are going to start to recognize and they'll they'll realize right. they know people who are professional Muslims. So professional Muslim, I'd say, is an identity, a function of some Muslims mm-hmm. in the community within the U.S. and probably in Canada and other Western uh, countries where Muslims are minority. And I'd say it started after 9-11. Now, I was mm. still in college when 9-11 happened, so I did, didn't automatically become a professional Muslim when 9-11 happened. Um, mm. But basically, as a result of 9-11, there were very few people in the media, in Hollywood at that time, uh, who were up high and Muslim, mm. right? Nowadays, it's completely different. There's Muslims right. in all places and politics and the media and mm. culture. It's, it's amazing nowadays in 2023 right. compared to back in 2001. But because right. Muslims didn't have a big sphere of influence, even among the academics, there was a very mm. small group of professors of Islam and even smaller of Muslim professors of Islam. Nowadays, right. wow, there's so many professors of Islam who mm. are Muslim, first of all, when back right. then, oh, it's a small handful. Um, right. And so what happened as a result of 9-11 is that we needed spokespeople for the Muslim Mm -hmm. American community and people stepped up. Uh, Someone I interviewed recently on my podcast, Rahma with Rose, for example, was Edina Lekovich, who she Mm. used to work for uh, MPAC Muslim Public Affairs Committee in Los Angeles. And she started working for them. I guess it was very soon after 9-11, and she would basically be the face of Muslims in California mm-hmm. condemning every attack happening, um, kind of representing the Muslim voice for right. uh, about two decades, right? Mm. Um, so we have people who were in the media, uh, people who worked you know, for MPAC, for CARE, mm. uh, for ISNA, um, for all kinds of other organizations, as well as people, you can think of someone like Wajahat Ali, for example, who mm. I don't know how you classify him. He's a professional Muslim, really. Uh, mm. I don't know where he works right now. Um, but we can think of people who, when you turn on the TV and you expect to see a Muslim talking head, that will be one of the professional Muslims. And so many of these yeah. people, we need them, right? They right. are the ones who... Uh, usually were born and raised in the U.S. and presented Mm. uh, a certain perspective to the American Mm. audience. They're trying to show that Muslims are regular people who are American just like them. We all know the script, right? That post 9-11, that's why your podcast is called I'm a Muslim, that's okay, (laughs) right? Like that's literally like the script of every Muslim post 9-11. We get those questions from non-Muslims and then we answer them, right? So we all have the script, except professional Muslims had to do it in a really public way essentially. Um, So that's what a public Muslim is. And for me, um, I decided early on in my career to study Islam, primarily just because I love studying religion, spirituality, and I love the Arabic language. So I spent a long time in Egypt studying in traditional as well as in a secular university context. And then I just realized I wanted to teach about the religion I'm studying, that's my right. religion, is my chosen religion. I wasn't born and raised Muslim, but I felt called to teach it, especially to my people, Americans, mm. right? Um, right? And right. so I felt that 
watching, having grown up as a young person in post 9-11, uh, well, first I was, in e- I was in Canada for undergraduate, even though I'm American, then I went to Egypt, but then I went back to the U.S. and watching post 9-11 America um, mm. and its attack on Muslims was really difficult. And I just felt it was like mm. my calling at that point in time to do my best in the university context and to get my degree so then I could teach about Islam and battle this these misperceptions and fight Islamophobia in the classroom and in my various in forms of interfaith activism. So that's kind of one of the biggest motivators for me getting all those fancy schmancy degrees. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, it's great to have the fancy schmancy degrees, yeah. but it's a huge responsibility, Dr. Rose, is that, yeah, you've gotten your certifications from these really like great academic universities and you're teaching uh islamic civilization and everything that comes with it but it's not the same as just simply teaching it's not Mm -hmm. like like a physics professor Mm -hmm. is going to be questioned about his morality at any Mm -hmm. given point because somebody doesn't uh agree with string theory or something Mm -hmm. of that sort um So, I mean, I think that's what people like, especially in your position, like walk us through it. okay? because you're not doing it anymore. And that is that speaks to the fact that you had like this huge academic career, which you mentioned that you just left behind Mm -hmm. because being a professional Muslim is ridiculously hard. Please mm-hmm. walk us through that. Yeah, sure. So I, I guess I started when I was in my PhD program in North Carolina. And I think it started because, like, for example, I remember st- I started Joma Prayer. And we had Joma mm-hmm. Prayers at the hospital, which was really, the university hospital was very far away. So I found a Quaker um, friend's house, really much closer to campus. I was like, and they were very friendly. They kept them going out of their way to be friendly to Muslims. So I asked them, can we hold Jummah prayers there? And they let us for free. Oh. Right? And it was so beautiful. And mm-hmm. from that place, I started to do more interfaith work. And I also was always organizing with the Muslims and I organized right. Jummah khutbas and, and things like that. And I was like, I think if I remember, I was a graduate advisor to the MSA and mm-hmm. I would consult with them and kind of mentor some of the younger undergraduate MSA students. So I was doing the mentoring of the young Muslims. And then at the same time, I started interfaith work. And there was a very small Muslim population in Chapel Hill where I was living Mm. at the time. But, um, and there was an Islamic society, but it was a Mm. little bit exclusive and wasn't women friendly. So I wasn't a big Mm. part of it. And they didn't want to get involved in interfaith. So I ended up Mm. becoming like the Chapel Hill Muslim. (laughs) I think that's how it started. (laughs) I was a grad student, you know, but because I felt my calling was to do this. So there'd be, you know, Jews, Christians, Buddhists, and I was the Muslim they would call up. Usually there was other, other than that, there was older, older Muslims, but I was the only one of my generation who was willing to show up. And I showed up a lot, you know, luckily it was a small town. It was easy to get around and I loved it. It was so powerful to have these gatherings, especially in the South where there was attacks uh, on Muslims. Islamophobia was a real threat. North Carolina, Dr. Rose. It was North Carolina. I mean, I mean, I left (laughs) the year before, um, you know, the, the killing of the three winners, you know, Mm. so it was tense even before, you know, they were killed. So it was North Carolina. (laughs) Exactly. Mm. I mean, every time you're walking alone and there's like a pickup truck um, slowly moving behind me, I'd get very scared, you know, Um, or traveling around the South, you know, Mm. I would, we just quickly move through some places and not stop. Yeah. Yeah. You know? 
so that's where my professional Muslim career started. And then mm. I moved across the country where I got my first teaching job at, the Calif- at California Lutheran University. I was assistant professor of global Islam, as they called it. And I was the Muslim on campus. Mm. I was at a Christian, you know, liberal, mainline Protestant Christian university. Um, they hired me not only because they wanted a scholar of Islam, but but I think they liked that I was Muslim and a visible, outspoken Muslim. And right. they liked that fact, you know, that mm. they're they're very liberal and they wanted representation. They knew there were some issues and they wanted to challenge it. They had no classes on Islam, you know. They, right, right. they had... Um, were there any? I think I was the first Muslim faculty member, at least the first outspoken one. Definitely the mm-hmm. first hijabi on campus. Um, right. So it was a big burden of representation, mm-hmm. right? For and sure. at that time, I was fine with that burden of representation, you know, of being the Muslim. So anytime there's anything going on, who do they call? There's something about Islam. <laughs> Dr. Of course, Rose. <laughs> they call Dr. Rose, <laughs> you know, like... It was it was cool at times, you know, like uh, they had Thursday chapel service, for example, and I gave a couple mm. sermons, for example. They also invited my Jewish, my Sikh colleagues to give mm. sermons. So they're very inclusive. Um, right. Sometimes I'd have to do very awkward interfaith activities where they weren't as sensitive they thought they were being, you know, mm. and I would support people with, you know, religious sensitivity training. And I just did everything, you know, right. and when you're. A non, when you're on the tenure track, you do anything and everything because you're also hoping to get tenure. And that's a six-year process. Right. So you're like, yes, yes, right, yes. Right. right? Um, but I enjoyed it. I also got invitations uh, in Los Angeles. I would, um, I joined synagogues for various activities. I gave sermons at um, a couple of churches, Universalist, mm. Unitarian Church, and gave talks and workshops at various community events. And also I was involved in interfaith. I remember just giving like here we need some random muslim to give a prayer at some place I was like, okay oh, wow. i'll do it you know and going into right. organizing marches and at the local mosque in my neighborhood i was um what was i i think i was on the interfaith committee or something and i helped them organize mm. interfaith iftars and events you know mm. they had some really good events when i i was there with some of my friends um so I was doing everything, you know, I right. was involved with the Women's Mosque of America, which obviously is not interfaith, but they appreciate having me as an academic scholar of Islam mm. as well. I think I, um, so I did a lot of stuff and I don't even know how I did it because I started my job when my son was eight months old. So I'm like, mm. when I start listing these things, I'm like, how did I do all that? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, plus I was in an abusive marriage and I left that. Mm. So it all somehow happened. Uh, along mm-hmm. the way, I also joined and got trained with American Muslim Civic Leadership Institute, which I'm perhaps you're familiar with, amicably, which was amazing because it's an mm-hmm. organization based out of University of Southern California that basically mm-hmm. helps uh, connect professional Muslims in a way, Muslim right. grassroots leaders around the U.S. Right. It helps them um, gain, um, how, how would they put it? to become more present and powerful leaders to right. gain more confidence and things like that. Right. And it was very powerful to be part of that organization. Mm. I'm still in touch with people from that organization. Um, so I did a lot during those years and it was, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. But again, Dr. Rose, um, why stop? Yeah, you're why doing stop? You're a bang-up job. I was I doing mean, great. You're representing us and you're yeah. being in all of these places. I you're was doing my work. You're know? in the room. 
why quit this? It was very good for the ego, perhaps, you know. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> it was great. Everybody I, I love, like, Rose. I love, you know, I am Dr. Rose, you know. <laughs> it was great. Like, all that work and finally I could use the title. The only place I get to use title now is, like, on videos like this. <laughs> so why did I? No, but you're still the Dr. Rose. It's just that. You're not the previous Dr. Yes, Rose yes. who's on the spot in the spotlight. Yes. But why? Yes, why? So you remember the days of the primary elections for the Republican candidate when Trump was one of the one of the candidates in 2000. Oh my god, what year was that? I don't remember. <laughs> like oh everything that was like 2000 uh, like 2015 15, yeah. yeah. That those years, I'm sure yeah. all Muslims remember it well, like when we followed like the absurdity that was a Republican mm-hmm. candidates and what they were debating about Islam and Muslims. Like it was like insane. Oh, and yeah. then teaching this in the classroom. And I also, one of my favorite topics to teach is uh, media analysis, uh, media, mm-hmm. media bias analysis. So before right. the crazy thing about teaching Islam in the United States is first of all, what you're teaching is the main thesis and my my dear advisor for my PhD, Dr. Carl Ernst, um, you know, he has a book called, oh, my God, Following Muhammad. I think it is. I should know. Right. I taught this book for many years. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope that that's the name of the book. <laughs> anyway, Carl Ernst's okay. big book on Islam. You can tell me later and we'll put that in yes, the show Yes, big notes. book on Islam. <laughs> it's a great book. Um, mm. His thesis, because he wrote this, you know, after 9-11, is that he wants American students to realize that Muslims are human, too. Because mm. Americans did not realize that we are also human. Um, and so when you teach Islam to American college right. students, you're literally trying to humanize Muslims to them and show, right. look at Muslims also like fashion. We also like watching movies. We also like going to eat ice cream. Yeah. Like, it's so sad. But I think right, all right. Muslims are like, yep, yep. <laughs> right. Mm. And so that's, of course, like, we go a little bit deeper than that. But um, so I, in the first part of all the classes I taught was media bias analysis and how the media is really biased Mm. and how it depicts Islam. And we can't say Islam until we realize how the media has bombarding us our whole lives in the U S against Muslims and dehumanizing Muslims and Orientalism and imperialism and all that. That's like the premise of all my classes. So then we get to 2015 and those primaries. Oh my God. And I had to teach through those years. And then I taught through four years of Trump and Oh my Mm -hmm. God, like teaching, Islam in a Christian university to often majority white Christian classrooms was not easy. I can tell you that. I, if I was lucky, I had like one or two Muslim students. Um, quite a st- few students were sympathetic and engaging, but I had a lot of students I was like fighting against. I just felt like it was like a fight, you know? Right. Um, and I put my heart and soul into it. And I know that I put too much of my heart and soul into it, really. And that's why eventually I got burnt out. But teaching during those years of Trump just like did something to me. Um, Right. It's it's really hard to explain. I think it did something to all of us. (laughs) Yes. I mean, not just teaching, but living under. Not just teaching, but you know, living in general. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But teaching it because I was also going through a lot of personal existential crises. Right, right, right. uh, Having been with my husband and then leaving him and he... um, I had been with him for a long time. I had been going mm-hmm. through some challenges with religion and spirituality and grappling with um, the patriarchy, grappling with mm. um, spiritual and religious abuse in the context of my marriage and being in right, um, right. some Sufi communities that also included that. So when you come to this intersection of experiencing religion, spiritual abuse in a marriage, sometimes in other Muslim communities, and then that happening and then having to teach all this, 
it just started to feel wrong. <laughs> I can't really put right. it. It just like, I was like, can't I just be a botany teacher? Can I just change like my <laughs> topics and like teach about plants? I don't know. I just made that up. But like, it felt too hard to teach something that is so personal to me that is me that my own identity that I couldn't unravel where my personal beliefs identity kind of ended and where my professional life started and I found mm. after a while those getting really unhealthy essentially um and so there's being the classroom saying and Muslims believe this and they say this and I'm like I don't believe that anymore. I'm struggling with that. Like, I don't want to teach Islamic mm. law anymore because that sucks. You know, I'm just like, I don't want to have to answer those questions because I just want to tell my students that's a bunch of BS or whatever. And, and you know, like, I'm just tired of being an apologist, really. And mm. also the burden of representation. I was just tired of representing right. all Muslims to people. Right. And I was like, I just want to be me. I don't actually want to have to represent all these people. And I don't represent them and I can't, but there's too many people. And and I can only represent me, but I couldn't just say that, you know, I had to, right, despite right. I had to represent Islam to students, not even wanting to, you know. And in our previous discussion, you had said that, I mean, obviously what you were going through was very real, but it was not unique to you. Mm -hmm. That there are many Muslim academics mm -hmm. who go through this burnout and like you've talked to them, did they have similar experience as you? And I'm, I'm only speaking in the academic context, yeah. not the personal life context. Yeah. But one of the reasons that they go from professional Muslim being the face of all Muslims to be like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Well, just to clarify, when I talk about professional Muslims, I speak about academics, but people in any right. realm. Um, right, so right. The, a lot of the people I've been in touch with aren't necessarily academics. Um, right, among right. Islamic studies professors who are Muslim, not many have left. I know a couple who are kind of planning to leave, um, mm. but... I don't know many. I was like the first one who made a splash and like ver mm. and like very vocally like quit. You know, I made a big right, right. I put a big message on Facebook and I even wrote a letter last year I think to uh the big Islamic say is listserv in the US and I was like goodbye. Uh you right. know, that that was scary to write to a listserv of like all the all the scholars of Islam in the US, but it's it's not just uh academics, just people in any realm. And oh, yes, 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 a lot of people are tired and are overwhelmed mm. and what's really interesting is that my journey ended me up or I ended up in Istanbul where I've been living mm. for nearly three years now um mm. one of the reasons is because you don't have to be you don't have the burden of representation here anymore you're just another mm. person in the street you know and you don't have to right, defend right. Islam anymore but yeah that's the issue is a lot of Muslims find themselves burnt out who are professional Muslims because they don't want to represent entire group of people anymore they just want to be themselves this is what i found and they want to be a nuanced person with all kinds of interests and hobbies but they're boxed into this pigeonhole and they can't get out of it unless they completely quit plus it's also very difficult i've not worked in a nonprofit or anything but i know that working in muslim nonprofits is especially hard they're often underpaid overworked sometimes pushed to do more things fisabilillah you know in the name mm. in the path of allah for you know charity purposes and they just can't keep up with the demands on them as well um, right. and this is aside from regular burnout of you know being for example a parent and working a lot and just having right. normal um, normal burnout but it's such an added representation to be a Muslim in the limelight in the United States mm. trying to defend Muslims against countless um, countless accusations that never seem to end 
Right, right. And I think that's what's integral about this entire like conversation. Again, especially in the context of how uh, everything is unfolding now. There's a lot of Muslims out there that are then sitting here either arguing for defense of, uh, you know, a people that are obviously being eradicated in Palestine and they have to fight uh, accusations or uh, of being anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing mm-hmm. because I can only imagine like, if you were still doing what you did, how much of a burden it would have been on you to have to answer all of these questions. Like, do you bring out a statement uh, for the Muslim people in Palestine or you do or you don't? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a that's a very difficult situation to be under. Mm -hmm. If you're still working for the Christian university, how would it would have gone for you? Like if you did, then would have there have been a backlash to all of this? I yeah. just just yesterday I was like I'd seen like a sort of um, a news post in the in that Starbucks mm. sue is suing its own union because they had sent out a, a message mm. in support of Palestine. So it like especially in times like these, everybody gets fired up, mm-hmm. and you know you're you. You and other professional Muslims are in the first line of target. Okay, she's well known. She's she's the the face of all Muslims. You know, they go after the professional Muslims first. Mm-hmm. But it also trickles down to mm-hmm. every one of us, mm-hmm. as you had said. The reason why you moved to Turkey is because now you don't have to answer the, those questions. But there's a lot of Muslims, even on the street, mm-hmm. that have to answer and as we saw of that poor six-year-old boy who was stabbed uh by his landlord they have to pay for it as well so i mean i think most people especially when they're not muslims don't realize the amount of heavy impact Mm -hmm. that is um a lot of my friends after you know all of this happened in palestine they feel like, and the stabbing in Chicago, mm-hmm. they felt like um, it was 9-12. Mm-hmm. And most people who are not Muslims don't understand the feeling of 9-12. But after 9-11, and none of us sympathize with 9-11. But after 9-11, mm-hmm. on the, the day after, Muslims were on high alert. Mm-hmm. Because they, they felt like that they were going to be attacked for just existing mm-hmm. as they are. Um, and I, again, I don't, I, especially through the Trump years, I don't know how you stood there teaching and, you know, having to be that public figure that had to go through all of this. But, uh, I can only imagine that now, even now it must be difficult for everybody, all those who are professional Muslims, academic or not, uh, to have to face this kind of backlash. If you had like... Any word of suggestion for those who are um, professional Muslims and for those who are questioning professional Muslims, what would it be? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, first of all, I have so much admiration and love for the people who still do the work. Like, I quit 
you know, I just decided right. it was too much for me. And the reason why there's many reasons why it wasn't oh, just yeah. for being a professional Muslim is also there's some issues in my department and academia. Right. It wasn't just about teaching Islam, just to make that clear. It was just part of the reason. Right. Um, I quit because I decided I wasn't at capacity. I no longer had the capacities to do that kind of work mm. anymore. And I'm doing it in a different way. That's more on my terms now. Right. Um, so. I quit because now I'm very cognizant of my capacity. And the biggest okay. piece of advice I have for people is you need to be on alert at all times for burnout, for signs of burnout, right. and try to keep yourself as regulated as possible and to care for yourself and to offer yourself as much compassion as possible because we need mm. you so much. We need you to mm. keep doing the work, keep fighting the fight. It's a really right. good and honorable fight, you know, using your intellect, using your uh, organizing capabilities, so many different, you're using so many different amazing skills you have, your creativity. Um, but what I'm noticing right now, for example, during this genocide happening in Gaza is that people are burning themselves out really quickly and everyone I speak mm. to is dysregulated and they're triggering other people. There's like the shame-based culture on social media of saying, if you don't post exactly right. this, you're like, you're, you should be ashamed right. of yourself. And this isn't helping anyone, you know? Mm. So I think, um, first of all, care for yourself, monitor right. yourself incredibly closely, make sure you have a therapist. If you need a life coach, uh, make sure you have a huge amount of resources around you that you know also how to resource yourself from within. You know, that includes right. finding different regulation techniques that you um, that work for you. Um, because the only way to survive the long run and to keep on going is to make sure you know what your capacity is and to keep at or below capacity and slowly to expand it but never to push it because that's when burnout mm -hmm. happens um, right yeah and for those who are coming for the professional muslims i think that's that's one of the things that non-muslims don't realize yeah y'all got a lot of questions but how many of those questions are necessary mm -hmm. so what advice do you have that has a question there is a burning curiosity or like a burning misunderstanding how do they come to a professional muslim uh, so you just mean the random people in the street who are like, why are the you? The random wearing... people are yeah. online. Yeah, I mean, yeah, on the street, yeah. I don't think anybody's going to come up to anybody. Oh, it always happens. Um, it yeah. never happened to you? Oh, wow. <laughs> no, man. <laughs> I have the RBF. I'm, I'm immune to that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I do smile a lot. So I don't know about you, <laughs> yeah, but I, like, I, I always had the issue even around and people like, oh, like they just like come up to me in random context. Maybe it's a California thing. And just like ask me random questions about Islam. Because oh, of, wow. Yeah. Like always. And I'm like, of course I'm always on, I'm ready to like be right, put right. my professor hat on, you know? So I was always ready for that. And I guess at right. that time I enjoyed it. Um, know, but, but that, that's part of the burnout too. It like, was definitely. Had, like random people coming up on the street. Yeah. Like, Dang man. Well, here's I'm the thing. Here for coffee. Like I remember like, you know, I'd be driving. I'm like, okay, make sure you don't like, you know, do anything bad. Like I like to drive, you know, little fast on the highway and stuff <laughs> make sure like i'm not cutting anyone off right because then right. they'll think all muslims do that right so it's like oh, be so careful right um nowadays if i want to drive quickly in turkey no one cares <laughs> i'm just represent all women here <laughs> <laughs> um, no but but yeah like, yeah it, so what it, do you could be on the street or but social media is our favorite anonymity yes. platform you know you can make a fake profile and then come for somebody so i have a policy about that nowadays shahla is mm. basically 
I used to try to engage with people in person and really have mm. these thoughtful, deep conversations. And with my students, right. those are the people I invested with the most because they were right, there right. to learn. But I also invested with a lot of people online. And first of mm. all, like I don't invest with people online who I don't know, who I don't have a relationship okay. with, uh, who have those kind of questions. I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, you can go somewhere else. I'm not here to answer your Wikipedia questions. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like nowadays when people write something that appears just silly hostile whatever i'll say and either ignore them block them if it's you know really awful um, or else just like thank you for sharing your opinion and i just don't have the bandwidth to engage with you you know i was i, I wrote mm -hmm. someone on facebook the other day a muslim shared something that was really anti-semitic and i just like i said you really should think twice if you want to share this this is really not the time right. or place it was just awful right. it was like right right it was yeah it was terrible so then she like wanted to say look at this she was giving me random quotes that are screenshot with and i was like come on like i my undergrads could do better than this like you're a grown woman mm. you know i didn't even say that i was like i don't have the bandwidth to engage with you but you should think right. twice you know so i have a lot right. i have what i call very compassionate boundaries now is mm. that i will only engage with people who really um who really are asking questions that you know i think that i I'm a good person to answer and if I could guide right. them to the right resource otherwise this, right. there's other places online and there's something called Google right. um, and Sheikh right. Google is a great resource for information too <laughs> you know I think uh, what you said is key like especially for somebody who's a professional Muslim not everybody has good faith questions mm -hmm. okay that let's just be honest mm -hmm. online very few people have <laughs> good faith questions yeah. okay and I mean like if again uh, I mean random but if somebody came up to me and asked me like a deep Islamic civilization question, I ain't the person to answer it. <laughs> Dr. Rose is the person to answer this question. I don't know Jack half the time. So, I mean, I think that's the thing. People can't have the expectation, just like you can't have a regular person expectation, like just because somebody uh, is Muslim that they would know every single mm -hmm. thing about Islam. That's not how that works. Yeah. We're just regular people sort of going about our way mm -hmm. and, you know, try to make the best of it. Yeah. Um, like so I remember I, I used to get so questions, like I'd give a talk at some like senior citizen home. This, Then like all they remember is like, maybe I mentioned CARE and they say, but why, why did you mention an organization that's sponsored by, by Hamas, like CARE, referring oh, to CARE? Geez. I'm just like, like some old white guy. I'm like, I don't even, yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to you. Like this year, yeah. just like, you know, <laughs> so this, right, that kind of right. stuff is so tiring, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, again, even though like, those things were in the past you know i appreciate you that you did you fought the good fight in those like four five six years that Muslims it was like 12 really years yeah. yeah oh yeah Total, i mean yeah. that like muslims really yeah. needed somebody and again it's only understandable that you're one person that all of this especially in an atmosphere that can be more often than not very hostile mm -hmm. towards not just muslims but all minorities mm -hmm. um it is a very difficult and taxing job. But, and what you do now is also important. So before I let you go, Dr. Rose, please let my audience know where they can find you and what you do, um, life coaching, breath work and all. Yeah, thank you. So talk about what I do. Yeah, so now I, am I a professional Muslim now? No, now I'm just a person 
who supports people, often they happen to be Muslim, but it's not like a, right. an Islamic space anymore. So I don't teach about Islam. I create spaces right. for Muslims where they can just be human. So it's almost right. like the very opposite of what I used to be. is like allowing Muslims to be together because there's safety and there's understanding of one another, but they don't have to talk about Islam. But often I right. do help Muslim women um, reconnect with their spirituality because there's so much religious trauma and abuse and I've gone through it myself mm. and people struggle with things like prayer with just believing in 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 various beliefs in Islam or how to grapple through things that are difficult with Islam and how right. to approach our beautiful religion in a way that makes sense to who we are as um, right. people right. with open minds right so I do support people in that way and I'm still grateful for all my training and background mm. and work um, with that. So I now do one-on-one -on -one coaching with people. Um, I do group program. I'm, I'm going to start November 1st, something called the Rahma Collective. And it's an mm -hmm. ongoing membership program for Muslim women who want to be in a space for Muslim women. But like I said, mm -hmm. it's not an Islamic space. It's where we focus on community gathering, community connections, to know that we're not alone. It's for learning different embodiment techniques, including breath work. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a space where they can share anything that's on their mind freely without shame, without guilt, which right. we know is so prevalent among Muslims, unfortunately. That's a topic mm -hmm. for another time, guilt and shame. Um, and then also life coaching. And so that's mm -hmm. an ongoing thing. And um and then breathwork all comes in all of that as well. Right. And my Where website, can they find you? Yeah. How, how can they reach you yeah. like, as a Muslim woman? Because, you know, your service is not just limited to being for women in Turkey. You, mm -hmm. you reach women oh, from all over Most the of so the people I work with are in North America, actually, because, mm -hmm. you know, that's where I'm from. And that's most people know me there. So I don't work with that many women here. Um, right. A little bit. Actually, I run some healing circles here in Istanbul, but my work is actually mainly online with North America European women. Mm -hmm. um, and they can go to compassionflow.com is my website, mm -hmm. although I haven't updated in a while. It's okay. Um, and then my Instagram account is quite active. It's dr.rose.aslan. Um, mm. at, at symbol and then also my facebook regular facebook account they can just follow me there and i post a lot publicly mm. i'm quite active there for people in that 35 and above uh, <laughs> group those over 35 and below they're like what's facebook <laughs> and then uh facebook i think uh, i have a page compassion flow coaching too is the name right. of my coaching and they'll be able to see all those links on uh, on the uh, screen um, but thank you so much, Dr. Rose, for really coming on, especially in a time like this, when, you know, um, a lot of people, um, a lot of Muslims especially, do come under target um, because they have to answer questions that are not necessarily fair. Mm -hmm. And it, for us, just being as a minority in a non-Muslim country can be, as you said, it can be emotionally taxing. Mm -hmm. Um, where you just have to be watchful all the time. Mm -hmm. And especially now, it's like watchful times a thousand mm -hmm. sort mm -hmm. of situation where you're worried all, all the time. Um, I, I think what you have done and what you do now is so incredible, uh, just overall. And it's just shifting from a healing in the public sphere to what you do now is healing in a personal mm -hmm. sphere. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, Muslims can be a before it was so Muslims can be representative better, represented mm -hmm. better. And now Muslims can heal better from all that they go through. So I'm so grateful for what you have done and what you do. 
And I'm grateful to everybody who's listened in and watched us on YouTube. Y'all take care of yourself and may peace be on you all. Thank you so much, Shahla. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.